Welcome to the Conservation Queens podcast. We are five girls who love the earth and have a passion for living a more eco-friendly life. We are Real Life Zoo employees, and as always, nothing that we say reflects our organizations, and all thoughts and opinions are our own. Please keep in mind that we try to keep our podcast PG-13, so if you have younger listeners, you may want to review the content beforehand. I'm Kenzie. I'm Keith. I'm Abby. And I'm Emily A. And with that, let's talk about stuff. Hello, ladies. Hey. Ooh. Hello. We're She's missing on Emily vacation. B this week. She's She'll relaxing. Yeah, she took a little trippy trip. So you'll and let's clarify a very safe trippy trip. <laughs> yes, that is important. <laughs> yes. And these. Oh, if I have to hear oh, I hate one that. more time. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Um, no one had a fan shout out written down this week, so I guess fan shout out. To Hi, Amanda! Beautiful, beautiful, amazing fans. Ooh, my friend Amanda listen to listens us. to us oh, at okay. work. There's a specific one, That's and nice. I was like, I hope it's not out loud because <laughs> it's at a public library. Okay. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah, I highly doubt that. I hope not out loud them, but uh, we yeah, still love education. It. We love that. Go live. All right, so moving along to our conservation updates. Um, there's some really exciting ones this Freaking out about this a little bit. Um, so first off, a snowy owl was spotted in New York City's Central Park for the first time in 130 years, Woo! which makes Woo! me feel like someone, like, lost their head wig <laughs> and it, it went to Central Park, but hopefully it was just a regular old snowy owl. I was gonna say their migration hanging about. Their migration kind of goes through the upper Midwest, so maybe mm-hmm. what happened is one just got like real thrown off. Well, I guess like, but then again, like a hundred thirty years ago, was that like a common thing to see them in New York City, like in that area in that region? I don't know. So you know, this one maybe was either a little lost, has taken a little trip to NYC, sightseeing. As one owl does. That's great. Other news, there is a new species of chameleon that is my new favorite animal in the whole world. It is called a nano chameleon, which is really appropriately named because it is less than an inch long. Literally, the picture of it is on a person's finger, and they are just like, it's like literally just on the top of the finger. Like, it would fit on your fingernail. It's so teeny. It's so small. It could possibly be the smallest reptile on Earth, and it was discovered in Madagascar. Shocker. Um, yes, but what's crazy in the articles that I read about it is that it tends to live, it prefers to live on the forest floor rather than in the trees. And I'm like, bruh, I could... How does homeboy not get smushed? Seriously. Oh my god. He's so small. He paid up on him. But um, so there's that. So do yourself a favor and Google the nano chameleon and cry with me. Um then my last piece of conservation news um of this year of 2021, uh 14 billion dollars have been raised for the Great Green Wall Ooh. to continue planting trees across Africa. Ooh. So this is a project that's been going on um since 2007. And basically, the project is, um, it started involving 11 countries planting and caring for trees um, that provide an eco-barrier along the southern margin of the Sahara Desert. Spoiler alert, we may just talk about the Sahara Desert this episode. Whoa! Whoa. Um, They haven't read the title yet. How do they know? That's true. Well, the the episode has a title. I don't know what we're going to name it yet. You guys already know because you're listening to the episode. But anyways, it's hot. It's dry. <laughs> barrier of trees um, would basically run from the Atlantic coast to the Red Sea, and would kind of help uh, halt the desertification, which is a thing, of villages that are near the Sahara. We'll talk about by it. planting more trees and creating this barrier. Um, but this donation of 14 billion dollars was announced on January 11th. And will be pledged over the next 10 years. Um, among the financiers are the government of France, the World Bank, and the African Development Banks. So, thanks, guys. That's Ooh. 
swell. Um, since it started in 27, nine additional countries have joined the call or cause. And the wall is only about 15% complete, but it's already impacted the environment and participating countries greatly restoring a lot of land. That's awesome. um, that oh, was, yeah. That was not doing so hot because of the desertification. That's a weird word. Yeah, we'll talk about that with my deserts for sure. Cool. Lit. <laughs> so <laughs> we're talking about deserts. Uh, spoilers. But yeah, so Great Green Wall, if you haven't heard of it, really cool project to look up. But some really great news as far as funding and conservation is concerned. Woo. Woo. Zoos. Zoos. <laughs> Zoo news. Zoo news. No beluga news. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Oh. oh, yeah. I know. I kind of felt bad. I was like, should I have texted Emily and asked her for any beluga news? But she'll make, she'll up, show you guys, she'll oh, make yeah. up double the beluga Listen, news. Listen, I'm not really worried about not having beluga news. <laughs> I think okay. that would be okay. So, um, But as far as zoo news go, there are just a lot of whole lot of babies that happen. There's like new rhinos, new stuff, but two notable ones. Woodland Park yes. Zoo has a yeah. baby gorilla. It's really cute. It looks like it's so pink. It is. It's like a pink. It's a really gorilla. pink gorilla. It's it's really cute though. It's got a smushy nose and I really want to boop it okay. real bad. Okay, Katie. <laughs> Katie, don't all gorillas yeah. have smooshy noses? Yeah. But this <laughs> one's like extra smooshy. <laughs> Are they your favorite really grade eight? No. Orangutan? What girl? Oh, great ape. Great okay. ape. Okay, fair, fair question. Um, yes. No. Mm, bonobos and gorillas are close. Oh, okay. Close in the top there, but probably okay. yeah, I'd probably say gorillas. All right, that was just a curiosity on my part. Uh, <laughs> the Detroit Zoo has baby polar bears and twins. God, that's pretty cute too. <gasps> I love polar bears. They are so cute. They're so cute. Um, And in relevant for only the day that you're listening news, uh, a bunch of zoos all over (laughs) are having their animals predict who is going to win Super Bowl 55? Yeah. Question mark? Listen, my husband was mad when the Packers got out of it. And, you know, here we are. Um, Sportball? Sport ball. But apparently Fiona the Hippo has predicted Tampa, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to win. So yay go sports, but also I don't think Tom Brady needs another Super Bowl trophy, so he can let someone else have a turn. Hmm. And that's as much sports well, as we know. So next off is this Tom Brady. <laughs> I don't even know why, but okay. We're, we're supposed to hate Tom Brady, that's what I've been told. Oh, okay. All right, that's fair, I guess. Anyway, <laughs> that's some great zoo news though that um I like that idea. It's really cute. The animals. Basically, they put two pieces of enrichment out with the two, like, teams written on them. And then whichever mm-hmm. one the animal goes to first is supposed to win the Super Bowl. Apparently, Fiona has uh, not a great track record. So <laughs> take take that as you will. Oh. Oh. <laughs> She's trying her best, okay? Well, I mean, like. She doesn't know much about the sports ball well, either. Well, no, and. When I say tracker, I mean like she just doesn't predict the winner every single time. But it's still kind of fun to see what zoos have decided which animals are going to predict for the year. So go look at it because it's cute. <laughs> All right, folks. So pack your bags and grab the sunscreen. We're <laughs> heading off on an adventure. Tell us where are we going, Katie? <laughs> Thank God, Kenzie. That was that was a better intro than I could have ever done. We're going to talk about deserts. But the reason we're doing this is we decided that we kind of want to do a little series about biomes. Woo! My favorite. This is like my favorite topic. I don't know if you guys know this. I friggin' love biomes. You have a lot of favorite I, topics. I just, I don't discriminate. I'm just here to like everything. Fair enough. So for those of you that aren't sure what a biome is, it's basically just a collection of plants and animals that have common characteristics for the environment they exist in. They can be found over a range of continents. Uh, Biomes are distinct biological communities that have formed in response to a shared physical climate. And that was all a quotation, (laughs) quoted, that was all a quoted Quote, I can speak words. They come out of my mouth sometimes. Okay. 
Anyways, um, so for example, common biomes that probably come to mind are like rainforests, tundras, deserts. However, the thing is, scientists can't really agree on how many different biomes you should there are see, and how to classify them. You should see them. this document that I have made. That <laughs> could you see my list of biomes document? biomes question mark uh many question mark i did deep dive into different classifications of biomes and there are it depends on who you agree with it depends on what you like i think for part of these (laughs) right though because like Mm, yeah so basically uh how do you separate them According to National Geographic, there are five major types of biomes. Aquatic, grassland, forest, desert, and tundra. Um, But then you can take these five major types and then split them into more specific categories. Like for aquatic, you can have freshwater um, or marine. Or for like forest, you have like savanna. Or for desert, um, you know, or, or tropical rainforest or arid or whatever there's a million different types of categories that those five can then be split up into but we're going to focus this week on our lovely desert biome if you haven't guessed by the amount of times i've already said the word desert in this episode so the thing that what constitutes a desert biome rainfall is less than 50 centimeters or 20 inches per year it don't rain a lot there (laughs) It's very dry, as that was said earlier. <laughs> I'm um, sorry. Deserts do cover about 20% of Earth's surface, which is quite that a is lot. It is actually a lot I more mean, than I thought. Yeah. So there's Especially a lot of, like uh, when we look at the other biomes, comparing it to how much the other ones cover, I feel like this is so much. It's like one it's fifth. Is this yeah. the Earth's. Oh, look at that honestly, map. Is it. <laughs> I yeah. majored in not that. Um, <laughs> is this we're talking about Earth's surface as far as like land goes, right? Because it's not including the ocean. So, I think. Uh, good question. <laughs> so I actually have um, a book out that kind of inspired me for the idea of doing a section on biomes, and they have this really cool triangle of dividing several different biomes, and they say that aquatic and terrestrial biomes are in two different categories in and above themselves. That's I've yeah, seen that a lot when I was doing, again, this giant stupid list. Um, a lot of them did not have okay. the um, aquatic biomes listed, mm-hmm. so it was like you'd have to add them so- yourself. Okay, so 71% of Earth is covered by water, right? Right, correct. So this is about 9.5% of the Earth's surface. Okay, so they probably mean 20% then of of yes, the land. Yes, 20% of the, yes, of the land. So sorry, I didn't. No, that's okay. That, but there you go. That's well, I was answer. just curious because I wanted to know, like, if it was 20% of the actual Earth's surface, that like... would be scary. It would be like crazy people because then it would be like 70% water, 20% desert, 10% yes. everything Yes, <laughs> that's why I was wondering. <laughs> so yeah, um, now deserts can either be hot or cold, although most of them are found in subtropical areas, so hot. Um, flora and fauna living in a desert must have special adaptations for surviving in such a dry environment. And there are four categories of desert. Um, you got hot and dry, you got semi-arid, coastal, and cold. <laughs> I love how it's just coastal cold. Doesn't... Yeah, just they were like, like well, it's not hot. Gosh, it's what could hot, we call so it? We're gonna call it cold. Cold. Um, yeah, and these categories are based on their climate and geographic location. Now, if someone brought in the question here. Salt versus sand deserts? Yeah, I did. Because in um, the desert section I'll be talking about, they mentioned uh, salt deserts. So I was like, wait, is a salt desert even actually a desert? Oh, pause one second for my cat to stop (laughs) wailing! I think a a zoomie just said that many deserts contain salt lakes, but they in themselves are not deserts. 
right, Azumi? Thank you. <laughs> I, I hope she doesn't confirm because so, she's. I, I think she's mad go. about letting her in here while we record. And um, I'm Emily. You're gonna talk about it too. I have a little bit on Salt Lake in I my section too. as well because they're pretty. They're pretty yeah. cool. They're, so they're, they're just wild. like a section of the desert. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. I have a desert. I have a desert that is like primarily salt flats, Mm -hmm. and which is a characteristic right of a desert. They can contain salt lakes or salt flats or whatever you'd like to call them. But anyways, what desert are we traveling to Uh, first? So we're traveling to the New World, which is the Americas. Is it a whole new world? The what? (laughs) Is it a whole new world? So. I actually forget very often living in North America that we actually have deserts here because, you know, we live in a very wet environment of America. Um, and that sure. South America is not just a rainforest, y'all. It actually has a very uh, long desert, which is confusing because it's long, like, vertically rather than horizontally. You have to look at the map to huh. see. Um, oh, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So... In North America, the four like major deserts that we have are the Great Basin. Forgive me if I pronounce all of these wrong. Mojave? Mojave. <laughs> okay, Mojave. The Norin, <laughs> is that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the last one, dear, dear Lord. She who <laughs> Emily. <laughs> Emily, I really hate to tell you this. It's Chihuahuan. <sighs> Like a chihuahua. There we go. Chihuahua. Okay. Like a chihuahua dog. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Today on only oh. Abby speaks Spanish. Um, we are all going to butcher all of the names of the deserts. Just fair warning. Oh, let's... I can't even try because she was like, "We're done. This is too much." No. So, um, those are the four major deserts of North America. Um, there are, like I said, a lot of very large deserts in South America, and they vary from sand to having salt, uh, like I was kind of talking about earlier, um, or with ice. Um, some of them have flat terrain, some have mountains, and some have canyons. So, it is very, very diverse um, in South America, specifically. Um, like I said, there's a lot, but I'll name a few. Some of the largest deserts in South America, um, here we go again, trying to pronounce these, Eastern Patagonia, Atacama, 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 Dunes of Cabo, Polonio, I'm just going to stop now because you know what? There's like one, two, do you want, do you want me to help four, you? Five, six more. Do you want me to help you, Emily? Please do. I need to call in my boyfriend over here to read <laughs> for me. Okay. Speaks so it's Eastern Patagonia, Atacama, uh-huh. Dunes of Cabo Polonio, Desert of Sioli, Sioli, yeah, Sioli, Siloli. That's a weird one. I don't know. Coastal Desert of Peru, La Tatacoa, Medanos de Coro, and La Guajria. Guajria? Kenzie, yes, is that right? Very good. Uh, yeah. Hang on, Emily. I, did you did you not study abroad in South <laughs> Girl, I I she literally do not know words. I ordered food in Spanish. Okay. That's what I did. Because <laughs> that's she, all that I need to survive. <laughs> Weren't you just like in the middle of a jungle? Yes. So not a lot of social interaction. Um, I think anyway, the monkeys speak Spanish, so I think you were probably fine. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, so South America actually has the driest place in the world, which is the Atacama Desert. Um, Crazy. Which I guess that means that it just like literally never rains there. Um, but that desert is the same <laughs> desert that also has ice or snow, which is weird at the same time. Um, but both of these continents have actually very similar wildlife, so I just kind of bunched them together a little bit. Um, but we can start off with um, bugs. So many freaking bugs. Why, why are there so many? Also, they can survive. There are some very it. terrifying ones there. Tarantulas. 
<laughs> yes, scorpions, um, things that can kill you, essentially. Um, a lot of snakes and lizards galore. Um, so mostly small reptiles. Uh, the mammals that are there are like foxes, lizards, peccaries, which are kind of like a pig, um, and deer. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys have seen the meme going around where you can see the clear difference between a hare and a rabbit, but this is the place to see it because hares really look like they have gone through some stuff. <laughs> they don't look well. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and this was my favorite thing to learn about is that there are penguins in the Atacama Desert. What? Oh, Yeah. Heck yeah. I didn't know they were in the desert, but I knew they were in, in the It's the Humboldt penguins, right? Oh, I don't know. I'm I'm Googling it. Okay. Actually, I'm using Ecosia. Know. Oh, yeah, Humboldt penguins. There you go. You got it. Like H-U-M-B-O-L-D-T. Humboldt. Oh, okay. Oh. Humboldt. I was like, what? Why are they called Humboldt? Because they just, they're... They're humbled because they live they in the desert, but they don't really want to brag about it. They don't want to say that they've killed this penguin. They're very yeah. just down to earth. <laughs> Literally, because they're in South America yeah, deserts. Cool, Things like this just what makes Love me it. feel like my education in grade school failed me because why didn't I know this? Why was I only taught that penguins live in the cold? I don't know. Oh. My my third grade teacher was obsessed with penguins, so we actually did learn all of this stuff. And we, oh. in my class, we made like life size cutouts of all the different species of penguins and hung up around Ooh. our classroom. Wow, you have the best teacher ever. This is where Abby's. This is Abby's. <laughs> Shout out to Mrs. Edinger, who was like the greatest teacher that I ever had. Oh, love that. She came uh, to visit me at work. Oh, it was very nice. So I cr- almost cried. <laughs> Wow, amazing. So anyway. shout out to this teacher. Who does not listen? Uh, more animals <laughs> in, the south in North American desert. Um, the cousin to the llama is the guanaco. Guanaco. In- guanaco. And Yacuna. Yacuna. There we go. We're doing great here. So, you know what? The um, only reason I know that is because my sister showed llamas. Anyway, but let's talk about let's talk about Asia some more. Everything's um, fine. I'm also not going to pronounce a lot of these yeah. correctly. I don't think because again, uh, I I speak a, according to this podcast barely Spanish, uh, <laughs> and also barely English. Um, How to tell that we are all white? Us correct. pronouncing names of deserts. Yeah, it's <laughs> a good one. Uh, <laughs> Also, I'm only going to talk about the major deserts because there's a ton of deserts in Asia. So if I don't mention your favorite one, I'm very, very sorry. Um, but there was not enough time because we can't just do Abby talks about deserts of Asia for a podcast. It's not that interesting. So, all right. The first desert is the biggest one. It is the Gobi Desert. Have you guys heard of it? So this is actually, yeah, this is really sure cool. Have. I learned a lot of cool stuff. Uh, it's in northern China and southern Mongolia. So it is actually a cold desert. So much so sometimes snow will fall on the dunes, which I thought was very cool. Uh, but it's also what we call a rain shadow desert. So I did not know what this was. So I had to Google that as well. And basically a rain shadow desert is a desert that has a mountain or some kind of mass blocking the rain from getting to the location. So in this case, the Tibetan Plateau blocks the rain coming from the Indian Ocean from reaching the desert. Isn't that cool? That is pretty neat. I do remember hearing a little bit about rain shadows like way, way, way back. But yeah, I like this. I don't think I've ever heard of them. So I thought that was really cool. Um, That is interesting. The Gobi Desert is also really important um, because it has a lot of major cities from the Silk Road that are in the desert. So way back when, when trading was happening and people were going back and forth on the Silk Road, um, they all went through the Gobi Desert. Uh, It's not a ton of sand. It's mostly exposed rock. Uh, And there's a lot about this desert that you should go read on Wikipedia because it's really, really interesting. It's a weird desert as far as the climate goes. So just you have to go read it. Again, that would be an hour in itself. Uh, But let's get to the part that we all really want to talk about, which is the flora and the fauna. so plants include shrubs. 
uh, that can stand little water and extreme climate changes, <laughs> yeah. as in can change like 60 wow. degrees in one day climate changes. It, yeah, crazy. It's like Florida. Uh, hey, hey, hey. This week, at least. Um, I listed a couple of specific <laughs> plants like grays. Gray sparrow, saltwort, gray sagebrush, needlegrass, brindlegrass. It's it's all shrubby. It's just shrubby plants. Um, but the fauna was really, really interesting to me because they have a really interesting mix of animals. So you'll get black-tailed gazelles, marbled polecats, which are kind of like weasels, Bactrian camels, which are the camels with two humps. Oh, I've got something for you guys. Do you know how to tell the Bactrian camels from the dromedary camels and remember which one is which? Oh, that's right. Yeah. I love how you guys are just like, that's, yeah, normal. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone else is listening, like, excuse me. Yes. It's time um, for it later. Are found in South American deserts. Um, can't find them in North America, unfortunately. So you're not going to get spit on. Um, <laughs> not even uh, spit, it's their stomach gunk. Oh, gross. <laughs> it's really <laughs> nasty. It's so smelly. Um, the top predators of these de- of these deserts are the mountain lion, cougar, panther, puma, whatever you want to call it. It's the same freaking animal, okay? Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Stop telling me they're different. It depends uh, on what region of the world you're from, and anything yes. that you think is different is probably just a subspecies of that same animal. So calm down. Yeah, I guess get so shook with me when they're like, oh, like. You don't have mountain lions here. I'm like, yes, we do. I'm a panther. <laughs> it's the same. And, and yes, it is technically weird because it's not connected to anything else, but they're not a different species altogether. They're just here. <laughs> yes. Um, and the biggest twist of all is that camels actually originated from North American deserts. Do you want to hear something that's going to blow your mind even more, Emily? Oh, gosh. Okay, go. Camels, llamas, vicuñas, and guanacos are all from the same family. So that's probably the camels split off and went to Asia and Africa, and the llamas Mm -hmm. stayed here. Yep. About three to five million years ago is when they crossed the land bridge across Eurasia and then moved down south, and that's where uh, they found their way in Africa. I want to know what their ancestors looked like. I'm going to look it up. Interesting. (laughs) Keep going. Amazing. They do all have the same kind They're of They're funky. Yeah. That's interesting. Have you ever seen a camel run? That's a good time. <laughs> it's, yes. I rode on a camel and then it spit on me once. <laughs> they spit too! Nice. Nice. Oh. The camel. We had two camels at the zoo I worked at a while ago. Guys. Their names were Thor and Lily. And Thor <laughs> did not like men. He only liked girls. Guys. <laughs> And I fed him. Guys, I was today years great. old when I learned that the scientific name of a llama is Llama Glama. Llama Glama. Yes. Oh my god. Okay, well, let's move on to plant life. And you guessed it, it's cactuses, <laughs> shrubs, and bushes. Um, there are actually some trees that live in these deserts. Uh, there's actually a national park called the Joshua National Park. <gasps> Joshua Tree yeah. National Park. Yeah, the trees, I don't know how to describe them. I want to call them a thumb, but they have <laughs> <laughs> They're just very thick with like five Cs and they have pom-poms on the top. <laughs> they do look like a really excited alien cheerleader. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Um, there's also, this is where yucca originated, which is commonly used in Latin dishes. It's kind of like a starchy potato-y dish. It's real good. I like it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) some interesting facts about, um, cactuses, the most common plant in the desert, is the prickly pear cactus that it's surprisingly actually found everywhere, not just the desert. This is like my favorite thing to tell people. Is because every time they're Wait. always like, "No, I live in New York. There's no cactuses here." And you're like, "Well, well no, not by you." <laughs> no way. I'm just more confused. You're telling me that the prickly pear plant is in South America and not in wherever the Jungle Book. <laughs> Are you telling me the Jungle Book was not a hundred percent accurate? 
that's how he sings in the song. Like, don't pick the prickly pear with the <laughs> one of these days i cannot wait for when we do let's roast the jungle brook Why because i have so many things to say about the jungle book we'll just have to roast every disney movie of all time it's gonna be so fun all the animal ones at least yes um, like, another if we roast fact. frozen i'm gonna be very sad yeah <laughs> I like there's that. no animals really in that other than one which is accurate, so that's fine. Yeah. Uh, anyways, another fun fact about <laughs> cacti. Um, this one I thought was pretty interesting. I mean, not that I think any of you are going to find yourself stranded in a desert, but if you do, do not drink the water out of a random cactus. <laughs> Have you because... not seen Avatar? <laughs> I mean, I Some of them say. actually <laughs> turn the water It'll... toxic as another form of protection. <laughs> she has no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> What do you mean? And Pandora. Wait. No, not Pandora, Pandora Avatar. Have you seen Avatar the last episode? Episode. Avatar oh, the last nope. airbender? No idea. Kenzie, watched- Kenzie you've seen it, right? Girl. I didn't rewatch. Kenzie, you've seen it, right? Oh, absolutely. It's like one of my favorite shows ever. So, like, all three of us were giggling about this joke while, Ken- while show <laughs> Emily's sitting there so confused. Uh-huh. After we finish recording, Emily, here I'll I'll look up the link and I um, will send it to you. (laughs) Saka cactus juice and why does he eat out of it? uh, Cactus. Uh, He drinks juice from cactus. It's very amazing. I will send you the link, Emily, so you can watch it afterwards. (laughs) Okay, sounds good. Um, The last thing that I have is what the heck is tumbleweed? Because question. We see it in in (laughs) old-timey Western movies all the time. It's just little weed floating around. Um, So basically, it's not necessarily a singular plant. It's actually a bunch of plants intertwined. And then eventually it matures and dries out. And then it detaches and rolls around. But guess what? There's a purpose for this. It's because it actually is dispersing its seeds everywhere. Oh, cool. Oh. It actually oh. makes sense, but you know, it was just something I never oh. actually crossed my mind. I was just like, what even is that? Is it like a bundle of like horse hair? Like, what is this? <laughs> it's just there to make the scenes from the old hair. Western scene more dramatic. Yes. <laughs> so that is all for my uh, New World Deserts. Good job, Emily. I'm sure there's a lot more information about Zuni is telling yeah, you awesome. that was incredibly enjoyed it. I haven't really My facts. I've never really div- dove into deserts before, so this is kind of fun. No, I think I always like thought they were like I don't know, just nothing was there. Like what uh Oh just you wait, Katie. You know, I study, got, but I think I've got some stuff for you. You're ready. Stuff. Oh, Abby's about to pop off, I'm, y'all. I am ready. <laughs> Not really. Uh, I'm going to kind of go through this quickly because I have the others of Asia. And I don't know if you guys know this, but Asia is large. And it is, in fact, the what? largest continent. Did you guys know that? Oh, yeah. The um, dromedaries have one hump because D has yes! one hump. And then that was like my favorite thing to teach kids because it's so. like. It's how I remember it. it. Otherwise, I would never, ever remember. (laughs) That's how I learned. Um, You can also find Mongolian wild asses. Correct. Which I did write he, 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 he. There's a lot of asses that live in the deserts in Asia. So I get to say it a couple more times. I'm excited. Um, Amazing. And sand plovers, which are a kind of bird. Um, But also, sometimes in the Gobi Desert, there are snow leopards. Yeah, like not. They said these yeah, are animals that are there yeah, often, what? but they 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 wander through once in a while. And then Gobi bears, which I had to look up. It's a brown bear, but specifically to that region. Yeah, Asian brown bear, which is the same as the North American the brown Asian bear brown because bear, of the yeah. Russian land bridge from Alaska to Russia. And they have Wait, it. And not considered a different species. That's so weird. <laughs> they're what 
They're not considered a different species? That's so weird. They're not considered different species yet. Mm -mm. What? Yeah, I don't think they've... Uh, stop arguing. What? They are never going to interact. They are different. <laughs> I, listen, I agree, but it's just easier to just say brown bears, I think. And everyone's like, there's enough to argue about in other places, like climate change. So here we are. <laughs> I hear it. Um, and also wolves can be in the desert sometimes, which is also way cool. Apparently, there's mostly a bunch of lizards uh, and also something called the Mongolian. Yeah, a bunch. Uh, they called a the Mongolian death worm. That sounds fun. <laughs> oh, tell so, me. Tell me more it, right now. The picture I saw looks like a snake, and I was like, well, that's not nearly as fun as I thought. But it is a creature that is alleged to exist. So it's a cryptid. Um, oh. It is also called the large intestine worm. Wait, what? Because it looks like a large intestine. Ew. It's really gross, and I don't like it because you know about me and worms. Um, but people think it's probably a tartar sand boa is, like, what, what spurred the legend. But, like, apparently the worm has been described as it is shaped like a sausage about two feet long has no head or leg, and is so poisonous that merely to touch it means instant death. It lives in the most desolate parts of the Gobi Desert. Ew, it looks actually terrifying. It's, in the it's really icky. Jeez. I don't, I hate it. That's like th my nightmare, but I also am like, this is one of my new favorite cryptids because it's so strange. <laughs> Look at it. Uh, so that's the Jeez. Mongolian death worm. Um, but also it's about very strange. I, I don't really. If I'm that's real, it's a snake. You know what it kind if, of reminds the Star me Wars of? thing. Oh, I was. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's exactly um, what I thought. Yeah. It in Star Wars. It does. It has like. Azumi agrees. Mouths. Could you hear? Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, there are eight. <laughs> Thank you. There Azumi. are a ton of dinosaurs in the Gobi Desert. Very exciting. The first dinosaur eggs that were ever found were found in the Gobi Desert. Oh, yeah. Um, I also came across an article that said Gobi Desert dinosaurs use sex collars to attract their mates. Self-explanatory. Um, but over 80 types of dinosaurs have been found nice. in the Gobi Desert. So that's pretty cool. Uh, there are some threats because, of course, there are. The biggest is livestock grazing, um, actually from goats. Uh, mostly on the edges of the desert. And the problem is they're, uh, they're all part of the cashmere wool industry. So the goats eat the plants of the desert, and it's actually leading to something called desertification, which means the desert is growing because human activities like deforestation and climate change are allowing the desert to spread because it's not a suitable climate anymore for the flora and fauna that used to live there. Shocker. <laughs> So basically, the apocalypse, if climate change keeps going the way it is, is deserts are going to keep expanding, so nothing can live. That's what the problem is. Uh, and if you're like, well, deserts are hot, don't worry. There's cold ones, like this one. Um, another threat to the Gobi Desert is copper mining. There's a lot of copper mining that goes on by apparently one company in particular. So just, I guess, know where your stuff comes from. Yeah, so I was going for a little bit more of a uh, romanticized angle here. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> doomsday. Okay, to be fair, I almost saw it from the plane. So, Kenzie, I think you've actually seen it from not the plane. <laughs> Correct. So I also chose the Sahara not only because of its reputation, but also because it does hold a special place for me. Um, as only a few people know, my family actually lived in Morocco for about three years, and I would stay off and on between semesters at university. So I was given the opportunity to actually go down to the desert. And the best way I can describe it is looking at the Sahara with your boots on the ground. It looks like an ocean of sand. It has these great cresting waves that just turn this brilliant shade of gold in the sun. And the sky is what I can only describe as the most perfect shade of blue. And for such a supposedly barren landscape, I found the Sahara to be rather vibrant. Maybe it's the lack of vegetation or again, my own romantic sensibilities, but the colors there seem brighter, a little bit more saturated in the desert. It's also very quiet, 
I remember attempting to crawl up the side of a massive sand dune with my dad one night. And when we reached near the top, we just plopped ourselves down in the sand. It was a bit of a cool night. It was towards the end of December and there was a full moon out. And looking down at the little bear bear camp where we were staying in, I couldn't help but notice the silence. Every now and again, you would hear a noise from the camp down below or the sound of my own winded breathing because climbing through sand is hard. (laughs) (laughs) You get a calf workout, let me tell you. That's why I don't understand why people run the beach. (laughs) Like, what are you doing? (laughs) I mean, they just do it. Um, But I really couldn't hear a single sound, especially when I inclined my head toward the dune. It was just this blanket (laughs) of complete and utter silence. And then I would just look out and there's this dark roiling expanse out before us that you couldn't see anything and wish that people could see our faces because I've literally been shook listening to you like tell the story like I feel like I'm listening to a an audiobook it's an audiobook I have been listening to a lot of audiobooks and uh dramatic podcast readings so oh my god Kenzie you just you just zend everyone out listening. It was incredible. Exactly well, you know, it's been like, over yeah. the past year that I think we've all gone through. Maybe we need a little bit of zen. Yeah. Especially after the Mongolian yeah. death worm, because he's scary. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh. no Mongolian death worms in the I Sahara, agree. but there are quite a few other species. But first, yeah, let's go dive into the location and climate. Let's learn a little bit more precisely about the Sahara itself. Tell us. Because for a seemingly barren place and where it seems impossible for life to survive, it does. So it stretches from the foothills of the Atlas Mountains and spans at least 10 countries, 11 if you count the disputed territory of Western Sahara. In fact, the desert encompasses roughly 32 million square miles. Oh my God. Yeah, it literally takes up a third of the African continent. Uh, This Sahara was not always just sand and rocky outcroppings and oases, though. Once, over 6,000 years ago, Uh. this wide swath of desert actually played home to forests and lakes and wide grassy plains. So the question is, what happened? Yeah, why? Where'd it go? Well, according to one popular theory among scientists, it actually came with the slight tilt in the Earth's axis. And so the angle actually caused it to be more exposed to the sun's rays and thus driving up the temperature. Hotter temperatures, plants couldn't survive and flourish as much, and therefore a lot of the big megafauna couldn't survive as well. Okay, hear me out. Is this the meteor that killed the dinosaurs? That tilted the Earth's axis? No, no, this was 6,000 years ago. Never mind. <laughs> There's a little bit of a time <laughs> jump. <laughs> but the Earth is only 2,000 years old and it's flat, Kenzie. Do not make me hop to this microphone right now. <laughs> a little bit of a time jump there. Anyways, oh, getting back to science. Uh, no. Oh my yes. God. We will talk about that another time. <laughs> that could I be a good it. episode. Is like the stupid conspiracy theory. Yes, I agree. Yeah. So anyways, (laughs) going back, as we mentioned, of course, before, deserts are classified because of the lack of moisture. In the Sahara, it rains maybe once, maybe twice a year if lucky. Average summer temperatures will go up to 104 degrees Fahrenheit and can actually reach peak of 122 degrees. Yeah. In winter, though, the temperature tends to be a bit more mild, hovering somewhere in the mid-80s, and nights can be downright chilly and actually getting down into the 30s, even. Can you attest to that? It's cold at night, and, like, everybody was always asking me about Africa, like, was it so hot? And I'm like, no, I had to bring, like, sweatshirts and pants. It was was chilly at night. Mm -hmm. It's because it doesn't retain rainforest. So cold at night. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. So, ooh, speaking of rainforest... You know what's not a rainforest? <laughs> a desert. A desert. <laughs> That's like the literal opposite. But I love how Kenzie just brings us back. I, she's the, ch- the champion, the queen, I would Thank say. You. Thank you. I am a queen. Um, but <laughs> rainforest, there actually is a surprising amount of plants that do flourish in the desert. Uh, generally, there is still little in the way of flora, especially when compared to other biomes, but uh, there are a couple organisms that have learned to adapt to these harsh conditions, including lovegrass, the Rose of Jericho, 
And in certain areas or highlands of the Sahara Desert, you might even be able to find trees like oleander, date palm, acacia, and even olive and cypress. Oh, I love olives. I don't. I like olive oil, though. But in total, you can find actually about 500 <laughs> plant species within the Sahara. Now, question, have you guys ever heard of the Rose of Jericho plant? I think so. Yeah, so I feel like it's kind of been trending lately on social media. So if you type in Rose of Jericho or the Resurrection no. plant, it's a plant it up, that's very similar to tumbleweed. And it usually lies dormant. But when you put it in water, if there's a sufficient amount, it'll actually unfurl. Mm -hmm. Oh, this thing. Out. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. And then it dries back up again once it's done. Oh. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I'm looking Thanks it up right cool. now. <laughs> but oh, it's oh, it's so it weird looking, right? Yes, we called it a dinosaur plant. It looks like a bunch of worms. What is with this worms today? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awesome. All right. Well, speaking of worms, let's hop on over to the fauna of the Sahara Desert. <laughs> <laughs> wow, queen of transition. I, oh I know God. how to transition. <laughs> All right, so. Fauna, you'd be surprised by all the animals who call the Sahara Desert home. Scientists actually estimate there are currently 70 known mammal species, 90 avian, and about 100 reptilian species. And of course, that's not to mention the various spiders, insects, and scorpions. Um, most of the animals that live there are nocturnal. They prefer the cooler temperatures, and some even shelter underground. Someone is having a good time with that. How is Ellie? <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 Ellie. That's Ellie. It's Ellie. Oh, <laughs> Ellie Belly. She's, like, she's bringing me her toy. Like you play. Now. Are you telling you me play? that you are not just playing like, with all of Ellie's squeaky play. toys? I'm doing a podcast. You're sitting there squeaking. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you, you, Ellie, honey. for your contribution. But yeah, we love you. I'm watching Ellie for Emily B. <laughs> oh my God. Here we are. Next, <laughs> next week, we can do Izumi and Ellie have a podcast. We'll just follow them around with the microphones. Oh my God. With like the mini microphones. I think my dog would eat it. I, I think Izumi I would break it. so yeah. bad. So Magnolia would eat it entirely. Magnolia's it's because Magnolia's a queen and Azumi's a demon. There's there's a there. really <laughs> big divide here. Oh, back to desert. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> back to deserts and desert animals specifically. <laughs> so I was looking up just a few uh, recognizable animals, animals that listeners might like or may already know about, and I found a few fun facts to share with y'all. Have you guys ever heard of the Saharan silver ant? No. Wonderful. I didn't know until today either. <laughs> but what's really cool about them uh, is that no. they can only spend 10 minutes if they're up on the surface midday before they literally get cooked alive. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. So imagine that. I was almost converted with your like really beautiful description of oh desert. And I'm right back to apocalypse now. Like. Listen, the Sahara Desert is beautiful, but it is also brutal. And if that doesn't encompass Mother Nature, <laughs> I don't know what does. That's true. Mm -hmm. uh, something a little bit less apocalyptic. Ap apocalyptic. <laughs> Man, I cannot pronounce words today either. Okay, I'll we don't speak English in this podcast either. <laughs> and I actually got to see their little uh, footprints when I was in Morocco, just kind of across the sand. They're really cool. Um, but they're the smallest of all the fox species, and they're very recognizable by this trademark large ears, which helps them to regulate their body temperature. So you could almost say that they have built-in ear conditioning. <sighs> yes. You are doing so good, Kenzie. And then you just... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Katie. And then we have camels. They spit on you. No, that was amazing. Yep. That's all you need to know about them. Um, and then, of course, there are scimitar horned oryx. Now, according to the IUCN, there are only about 1,800 individuals left in the wild. And these amazing creatures can actually go months without drinking. I, however, cannot go an hour without a sip of water. <laughs> so it would not survive. Speaking of not surviving, again, with those transitions, what are some threats? Well, we've already mentioned desertification, which has been a huge issue uh, thanks to climate change and also poor management of land. 
All right. <sighs> so what are some threats to the Sahara Desert? Well, obviously, mm -hmm. we've talked about desertification before. Um, and that is in part due to climate change and also poor management of land. Now, actually, uh, as mentioned in our conservation news earlier, though, there is a project underway to help prevent the spread of the Sahara Desert. It's called the Great Green Wall. And this project was established to help slow and stop the spread by planting just a bunch of trees along the Sahel Zone, which is essentially between desert and grasslands where it transitions. Now, in addition to the loss of flora and fauna, though, through desertification, 4 million people live in or around the Sahara Desert. And there are still nomadic peoples who still trade along the desert routes and actually make their living there. So remember, again, folks, conservation, it's not just about the wildlife, it's about the people, too, who depend on them. All right. So thank you, Kenzie, for her lovely uh, conservation concerns around the Sahara Desert. Um, unfortunately, we've had a lot of technical issues with this episode and getting it recorded. And so to kind of head us on out of this episode, it's just going to be me, your friendly neighborhood conservation queen, Katie, to talk about the last desert we wanted to cover, which was in Australia. My favorite uh, continent, I guess. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the Australia girl. I've been there, done stuff there. It was a good time. But I'm going to just keep this short and simple for the end of our episode and talk about the Great Victoria Desert, which is the largest uh, desert in Australia and one that I was lucky enough to visit when I took a trip to the outback while I was uh, living in Adelaide in South Australia. Um, but the Great Victoria Desert itself is the largest desert in Australia. It makes up about 4.5% of the country's area, and the average Annual rainfall is really low and very irregular. It ranges from about 8 to 10 inches per year. <laughs> Yikes. The region is mostly inhabited by um, Aboriginal indigenous people who have survived in this region's arid conditions for hundreds of years. Um, they have mastered man -managing, uh, sorry, land managing techniques and um, where to migrate to throughout the seasons and how to survive in those really dry conditions, as well as the flora and fauna that has adapted to live in those areas as well. Um, as far as flora is concerned, there are only two well-documented species of trees that are seen scattered around the desert, both being eucalyptus species. Um, otherwise, it's mostly mulga shrubs, acacia shrubs, and some others. A lot of very low-to-the-ground um, dry plants, pretty much. And there really is not a lot of fauna in this desert. So the outback, um, when it comes to Australia, it is a whole lot of nothing. Um, some incredible scenery and like ridiculous history, but a whole lot of nothing. Um, so I drove from Adelaide um, in, with a tour group into the outback. It was a week-long um, trip. And on this journey, most of it, when we were driving, um, you just look around and see nothing for a good um, few hours of our trip. And then all of a sudden you'd come across, you know, um, a monument or a, um, a very small town. One of the towns we went to called Coover Pedy, actually a pretty big tourist destination. And when it comes to spots to go in the outback, um, it's known for its opal mining um, and is, is a mining town. That's initially why it was built in the outback. They find a lot of opals in that area. Um, but for the most part, Aside from these little stops that we'd make, you know, I would look out the car window and um, at one point we actually got a flat tire. I was like, this is it. This is how it go out in the middle of the outback. Um, there are a lot of huge salt lakes and this is actually um, one that I got, that we got the flat tire at and one I got to visit it was called Lake Caddy and really cool thing about these salt lakes, you know, obviously there was once a ton of salt water in this region, um, dried out once, you know, climate change, things shifted. And there are actually a ton of plesiosaur fossils, um, found in these regions, in these salt lakes. So plesiosaur fossils, um, picture Loch Ness monster, those, um, prehistoric kind of water, um, reptiles that were, pretty abundant um, during the age of the dinosaurs. Um, one of the museums I got to visit in Cooper PD had quite a bunch to look at, which was super cool. 
But some of the current fauna in these in this desert area in the Great Victoria Desert, um, though there's not a lot, the ones that are there have some super cool adaptations um, in order to survive. So some of these animals, um, you might not recognize the names of them. Australian animals um, often have some pretty fun names and are not really common ones that you might uh, know. So first off the bat, we got bilbies. If you have not seen a bilby, please look it up. It is basically um, Australians joke that it's their Easter bunny. It's like the Eastern bilby. Um, very cute animal. To me, it looks like a cross between an anteater and a bunny rabbit, sort of. Um, but yeah, Easter bilby is a thing. So look it up. Bilbies, they have skinks, um, snakes like the tapan, water-holding frogs, monitor li lizards, sand goannas, dingoes, um, several birds, including parrots, and then marsupials. There are a few marsupials that do live in the um, Great Victoria Desert. Unfortunately, a couple of them are endangered for some reasons that I'll talk about in a second. Um, the first one is an extremely tiny little marsupial. It's called the Endangered Sandhill Dunart. Um, very cute. And crest-tailed mulgaras and southern marsupial moles. Those are some of the marsupials that you'll find in the desert. Um, a lot of these animals that I've mentioned are going to be burrowing animals. So they dig holes in the ground in order to stay cool throughout the day. And then most of them are also carnivores. Not very many animals in the desert eat meat, or sorry, eat plants, because there is not very much plant matter. Um, most of them are carnivores. Um, I was going to mention, I said water-holding frogs earlier. They are crazy cool. So the water-holding frog can go five years without drinking. Five years! Holy cow! So, just crazy. Um, they'll burrow themselves in the sandy ground in a secreted watertight mucus cocoon, um, hence water-holding frog with its external skin during periods of hot, dry weather. For additional nutrition and to save energy, the frog then will eat this internal skin. Crazy. Like, you, I would have never guessed that an amphibian, like a frog, would live in, in an area like this in a desert environment. So it just goes to show you how incredible some of these adaptations are. Um, but like I mentioned, Australian Aborigines discovered a means to taking advantage of this ability by digging up these frogs, gently squeezing it, causing the frog to release some of the fresh water it stores for itself in its bladder and skin pockets can be consumed by a person who then releases the frog. Obviously, the frog will not survive the dry season without this water reserve, but if you are in the outback and in desperate need of some water, um, as Emily A. mentioned before, never drink the cactus juice. Just find um, a water-holding frog, I guess. Um, now, with all that being said, all these incredible animals, you mentioned, or you guys heard that I mentioned that some of them um, are endangered, like the endangered Sandhill Dunart. Um, one of those very small marsupials, they almost look mouse-like. So one of the biggest conservation issues with Australia's deserts are actually invasive species. Um, kind of crazy enough, a lot of people think of dingoes when they think of Australia. Um, technically, dingoes actually didn't arrive to Australia until a little over 4,000 years ago. Um, and they are actually, though they are considered native to Australia at this point, um, they have caused a lot of problems um, in overhunting native populations and also um, with competition with animals like Tasmanian devils, um, who are a critically endangered species in Australia. So um, one of the other most invasive species are a lot of animals that have been introduced like camels and um, donkeys and sheep. Animals that graze. Because there's so little vegetation in this desert environment, these animals that do graze on it um, can cause a lot of issues for um, basically wiping out the vegetation, um, which causes further desertification, as we talked about before, and um, outcompetes any of the native Australian animals that did happen to be herbivores and were dependent on those, uh, those plants. Um, so aside from invasive species, climate change 
is a huge contributor to conservation issues with um, the Great Victoria Desert and others, as we've mentioned. Um, basically, it's creating even longer drying season seasons, which contribute to bushfires, um, which I'm sure you all remember from the beginning of 2020 how um, badly those hit Australia. Um, one of the other things that I actually found that was interesting as far as conservation in the Australian deserts is uncontrolled access to sensitive wildlife areas by four-wheel drive vehicles. So basically, um, our recreational activities and tourism can definitely disturb these environments, um, especially when it comes to Australia. A lot of um, really, uh, really, I guess, cool sites to visit in the outback that have some incredible scenery or some sort of really amazing wildlife are considered sacred sites to Aboriginal people. And um, unfortunately, a lot of them have been greatly disrespected by tourists and by, you know, people who are um, looking for something to do out there, something fun to explore. Um, it's important to remember that not only are these environmental wild places so important for the animals and the, you know, plants and everything that lives there, but also to the indigenous people that consider these sites sacred. So, um kind of thinking about where we're going exploring or bringing four-wheel drive vehicles that can be actually extremely damaging to areas like desert biomes. Um, now, before I uh, wrap up, just two kind of side points about these conservation issues I brought up. I said that camels were a big part of uh, invasive species in uh, Australia, at one point on the tour that I went on when we were in the outback, we stopped at these ruins where there used to be um, houses that um, settlers actually had built like very, very long time ago when they initially tried to live in the outback in, the, in this desert area. It didn't work out uh, very well for them as it was completely in ruins. It was really cool to walk around the ruins though and kind of see, you could see like where a fireplace used to be or where uh, like a living room used to be kind of thing. Um, but there were these random palm trees that just kind of popped up around these ruins. And our guide told us that apparently the camels that they used to travel around the outback um, pooped out seeds that were that they'd eaten um, before they were imported from um, whatever country they were coming from. And that's what planted these random palm trees. Now, I tried to find evidence for this um, doing a little research, but I have come up short. So if anyone, I don't know if anyone else has ever been told that story that's listening, but if you do, let me know. I'm so curious to see if our tour guide was just telling us this funny like rumor that got passed down or if she was completely uh, serious and that's how there ended up being palm trees in the Great Victoria Desert. You let me know. Um, and then the only other thing I want to mention, on top of invasive species, the actual biggest threat when it comes to an invasive species in the outback is buffalo grass. Buffalo grass um, has posed the biggest threat to Australia's desert ecosystems because it can quickly come to dominate the ground layer of vegetation. So it outcompetes other native plants and it burns hotter and more quickly than the native grasses it replaces. So buffalo grass invasion in combination with larger and more intense wildfires driven by climate change have the potential to really devastate the biodiversity of these arid um, biomes in Australia. So when we talk a lot about conservation issues, it can seem like, oh, like this is really the big thing affecting it, or this one is, it's a combination of all of them. We could definitely, you know, we got to take a look at the bigger picture when we're looking at these issues and see how they really do affect one another. Um, so that being said, to kind of wrap up this episode, keep learning more about deserts. Um, a lot of us mentioned at the beginning of the episode that deserts weren't really a, an ecosystem that any of us had di do bleh, <laughs> dove into before, um, because it seems like there's not much going on there, but you would be surprised the animals that are growing, the plants that are thriving, um, despite these conditions is pretty fascinating to learn about that. I'm just, I still can't over the, get over the water-holding frog. That's my favorite thing I learned um, that lives in the outback. And if you do ever go exploring, be careful. Bring plenty of water. 
and know where you're going exploring. Um, and then obviously the big thing also has been climate change, especially in Australia. Recently, they've felt a lot of the effects of climate change with the wildfires. Um, my biggest tip for this is make sure you're supporting um, government officials who believe in climate change and are trying to make a difference when it comes to policies that are going to positively impact the environment or go toward clean energy um, or get us on a better track to slowing down climate change. And yeah, you guys have any other suggestions? Um, please feel free to write in. You guys know how to find us. Email, Instagram, our website, Facebook. Um, and this week we want to ask you guys if you have a suggestion of a guest that you would like to see on our future episodes. What type of guest would you want? Um, what kind of occupation? What kind of topic would you want us to talk about with them? I really want us to have a guest on the show. So give us your suggestions. But thank you guys so much for joining us this week. Again, sorry about the technical issues that we had in this episode. We'll be sure to try and fix them up for next week or the next two weeks. Now go out there and stay sustainable. Bye. <laughs>